Thank you for joining us today, Minister. So, in March this year, a SG Clean Task Force was set up to raise national standards of hygiene and cleanliness. So, Minister, you chair this task force, so I was wondering whether you could give us an update on the cleanliness situation in Singapore during the circuit breaker and in phase one. Well, we, we came out at a time when the COVID virus uh, was now well known to be spread by uh, uh, hygiene practices or bad hygiene practices, as well as interaction between people. And therefore, we took the opportunity to basically uh, remind uh, uh, the population that uh, it's not just for the COVID-19, also for basic hygiene, we have to adjust our basic uh, habits so that uh, whether it's COVID-19 or facial viruses, we are not also inevitably spreading them. Among others that we were putting in place then was uh, to make sure that we eat, uh, not share utensils, for example, for example, as well as uh, not leave tissue papers behind. And this, uh, fortunately, now we don't have dining in, so a bit disrupted. But uh, in phase two, uh, we will come back uh, with full force and raise the cleaning standards, both by the industry as well as uh, to instill good habits in our population. So now that we are in phase two, do you expect anything to change, especially now, as you mentioned, people will start dining in again? Well, we want habits to change. We want people to uh, be able to interact safely, not only for themselves, but also for others and leave the table clean and hygienic in a hygienic condition for others, including the cleaners. We want to uh, enable the cleaners to focus on keeping table surfaces clean and not also uh, clearing up after us after we eat. And that means that uh, we like more people to eat on trays because when we eat on tray, food falls onto the tray and then uh, we also hope you return the tray. And therefore the table is clean not only for the next person, hygienic uh, condition and the cleaner too then has less uh, chores in trying to keep up to the standard that we want. So the true test is yet to come, basically. And absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we may even resort to regulations. We may even resort to uh, beyond exhortation, uh, premise owners, uh, operators, and so forth. We have to see how, how, things, how things evolve. But most importantly, I hope, though, that uh, we embrace this, understanding how it affects our public health, as well how it affects people around us. So I think our work, our work, compassion, our, our care for, for the environment as well for others should be driving this and not regulations. So, I mean, Minister, I mean, beyond just eating out and, and having good table manners, another issue that has been brought up in a couple of ads in the Straits Times recently is the need to flush fully. Yes. So can you just elaborate more on this? I mean, earlier PUB has been telling people to half flush, yes. I mean, where possible, yes. uh, to save water. So is this going against the water conservation? No, at all, no, at all. Well, half flush is meant for our liquid waste. And uh, we, we therefore want to do the right thing for the right thing. And therefore, for this uh, case of using the public toilet, usually if it's not the liquid waste, you should use a full flush. Because um, there have been many studies, although not, not verified fully, nor you know, peer-reviewed, uh, on issues around uh, the hygiene of public toilets uh, in terms of when it's intensely used, uh, does it, uh, will it uh, pose risk to uh, other users when one of the users uh, has uh, COVID-19, for example. Um, 
better be better take cautious caution uh, cleaning in terms of how we clean how frequently we clean as well as uh, advising uh, users on the right way of using them yeah i've seen those papers and i mean like you said they are not all peer reviewed yes. but i guess it's better to be safe right? yes absolutely absolutely and also it's good habit yes I mean, beyond hygiene, COVID-19 um, has brought up a few other issues, including food security for Singapore, which imports more than 90% yes. of our food. So can you just tell us a bit more about Singapore's um, food resilience strategies? Um, diversification has long been a pillar of our food security. So does the pandemic, has it brought up any new lessons for us? Diversification has worked for a long time. In fact, today we are, we are, we are importing from more than 170 countries and regions, which means that if one region get affected uh, because of some disease among the, in, in the animals or in the farms, we can get supply from somewhere else. But this pandemic uh, situation create, created situations which we, I, I would think, have never in our lifetime thing would happen. For example, in the countries where are producing food, they get worried about their own food security and uh, calls for restricting food exports uh, cause uh, some important uh, food items maybe like rice or even flour to, to rise. In the meantime, where they are being, uh, where they're supposed to be exported from, uh, they have not taken care of the storage and uh, food just get wasted. And this has, this, if you put it together over a long period of time, can cause price fluctuations, uh, supply disruption, and we therefore uh, have been thinking about uh, what uh, we have to do uh, to, to tackle this. Actually, we have already uh, looked at this from the sustainability point of view. Uh, what in the event of a climate change uh, scenario would uh, we have to take care of 10, 10 years, 20 years from now, when food supply will suffer the same kind of problem. But it's before us right now, and which is why the 30 by 30 uh, vision that we wanted to, to implement, producing 30% of nutritional needs in, by 2030. We now call it 30 by 30 Express to do it immediately, launch it fast and hope to see the results within 6 months to uh, 24 months. Okay, 6 months, that, that's quite soon. Yes, yeah. I think uh, some, of the, some of these uh, supplies are essentials, whether they are eggs, vegetables or fish. Uh, some of them can be done even now because we can further diversify or even bring the farms in. Uh, they are almost kind of uh, fixed, uh, ready to fix up and, 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 and produce. Um, but uh, in any case, uh, it is not something we can wait for 10 years or, or 20 years to, to implement. So we'll come back to local food production because I think that is an area of interest for many. Yes. But going back to diversification, I mean, Minister, you mentioned that we import now from more than 170 countries and during the circuit breaker period, we have seen um, new imports, right? Poland, Polish eggs and shrimp from Saudi Arabia. But I think one important question that many of us have in our minds is, will food prices go up the further away we import from? Well, the situation that we are facing right now food prices can go up from, for many reasons. And one of them is when there's a constraint in supply, the uh, group of people who are actually in a position to control the prices, they too can raise the price. So you want to have a situation where supply is not disrupted because that also uh, gives us the security of, of uh, food on our shelves. Uh, at the same time, uh, you want to sort of uh, 
uh, mitigate the possible price increases. We'll do all we can to make sure that the prices are affordable and that the food supplies are accessible. I think this must be the topmost priority in ensuring food security. You can't ensure everything together, but you can definitely ensure, and, and most importantly, to ensure that food is available on the table. Yes. So, I mean, okay, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, local production. So, earlier this year during the budget debates, your ministry mentioned um, the possibility of increasing farming in the Neotiu area and also the potential of expanding more aquaculture zones in the southern Singapore streets. So, I was wondering whether you could give us any update, you know, now that food security is so important. Well, there is both the long-term and the short-term view on this. Uh, the short-term view is to uh, fund what we call 30 by 30 Express. Uh, innovations that are already existing that can now be put to practice. Even in the long term, we must be able to do all this in the 1% land area that's allocated for agriculture. So I think that's a phenomenal difficulty in implementing something uh, of, of that scale. Um, so that's the short-term view and uh, we already have good players, which means also that this group of players uh, enable our new SMEs to go into new kinds of uh, uh, economy that will also provide, provide jobs and opportunities for uh, uh, down the, down the, down the uh, uh, scale of uh, the, the other companies that also will come in and become auxiliary suppliers to these companies. So that's where the excitement really is about. Uh, that will also then fit into a future and a longer term uh, view uh, we already have talked about the uh, AFIP and then now we're also looking at Lim Chukang. How do we integrate Lim Chukang into the whole food belt so that uh, it is not just a place where you produce food locally, it's also a place for innovation to show, uh, to put in R&D ideas, a place where we can also implement uh, uh, zero waste uh, concepts where the waste from one part of the industry can be used by another part of the industry. I think this is something that's uh, quite a breakthrough thinking and also something will be very novel, something new that we can do here. And more importantly, uh, it will also address the issues of what you should be doing or what we should be doing when the circumstances around you, particularly weather, climate, are also uh, something you can't control anymore or something that is not conducive to outdoor farming. So we have to be ready now and uh, these are all exciting uh, development that I, I, I hope our children will benefit from. Uh, we are seeding with money, we are also seeding with R&D and there are many players, most of them are local and also attracting uh, overseas uh, uh, innovators who want to participate in our, in our exercise. So, I mean, Minister, just now you gave us a very interesting tantalizing figure of six months. So, would you be able to cite any examples of you know what people can expect in in, in six months? You know? Some some of these uh, innovations uh, are in in areas of like uh, veg vegetable uh, growing. Uh, whether they are what they need now actually is uh, new areas, and we are we are now releasing MSCP the car park rooftops that now can be used for them and, and give them more space to produce this vegetable. And because they are produced close to where they are consumed, it means that these vegetables are fresh, uh, they are pest-free. Uh, At the same time, because it's very close to where they are, they are produced, they last longer. So there's, um, and, and in, in, 
uh, inevitably also you can also say that uh, very low carbon footprint. So I think these are all uh, compelling ideas why we should do more of this. Uh, much more so because uh, they are already tested in Lim Chu Kang in many places to show their productivity. Now is how they scale up and then produce for our needs. Now, on the issue of community gardens, I think many people actually took up gardening during the circuit breaker when they yes. were at home. Yes. And I interviewed a gardener who said actually that might help people feel more affinity with their food because I mean, in Singapore, we are not an agricultural nation. Yes. But I mean, earlier you mentioned uh, um, another part of your portfolio, which is climate change. Yes. So, you know, um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the annual United Nations conference that was supposed to be held in the UK at the end of this year has been postponed to next year. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, the conferences may be postponed, the, the meetings may be postponed, but climate change is continuing. And uh, one part of climate change we, we must always worry about, particularly for Singapore, uh, is uh, sea level rise. And the, rate, the way sea level rise is not something that can be disrupted because we did something differently. It is something that happens in a very slow way, uh, sometimes accelerated by industrial uh, 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 activities. Um, but stopping those industrial activities will not reverse this uh, sea level rise immediately, which is why uh, we have to be ready and continue to uh, fortify, make our uh, coastal protection better over the years. In the meantime, we must uh, contribute to the uh, uh, fight against climate change. So for example, in Singapore, we have uh, enhanced our NDC. We have also submitted our long-term emission goals and uh, revised it to peak at uh, 65 megaton by 2030 and halve it by 2050 and then aim for neutral net zero emission in the second half of the century. Um, many of our counterparts, including the UNFCCC uh, secretary, uh, lauded our, our courage to actually put that on the table and uh, use that to basically get other countries. Now, you see Singapore has done it. Please submit this, you know, submit your, your enhanced NDC too. I think we are, Singapore is only one of the few countries that has updated their updated climate plans yes. so far. I mean, but I mean, okay, now during COVID-19, there have been many reports about, you know, improved air quality or uh, reductions in emissions in some areas. And around the world, there are some countries who are lo looking at green stimulus plans. Um, in Singapore, we have an emerging stronger task force. And how do you think this task force can balance the needs of the economy with climate concerns. If you can recall during the budget uh, this year, uh, although many people would have forgotten because of what's happening around them with COVID-19, I, I, I was really happy that uh, almost all ministry, when they presented their, their vision, their view, what they're going to do even for that year, climate change, mitigation, adaptation was part of what they do sustainability became core to what they, they want to implement, even MINDEF. So I, I, I was quite elated that uh, in the past, uh, only Muir talked about it, but this time around, everyone was in it. So even the transport uh, master plan talk, talked about how public transport can contribute towards uh, mitigating and contributing to our NDC. So all these things are already there. So whatever the, the new task force uh, will implement, will take reference to from what we, we, we have planned because they know that this is something that uh, maybe out of uh, our, our radar for the moment, 
but it's something we have to take very seriously going forward. So, okay, um, Minister, I mean, the emerging task force, I mean, some observers have pointed out that, you know, some fossil fuel representatives are actually on this panel. Mm -hmm. So, do you think that Singapore can do more to reduce its emissions? I mean, you mentioned that many ministries have already outlined plans um, to, to curb their own emissions, but can we do more? Of course, I think technology is very promising, but there are technologies which have uh, been proven in concept, but not in scale. But there are also promises in future where you, you, you would be able to solve, hopefully, the problems that you are facing today. i give you two examples. One is carbon capture. Uh, carbon capture, utilization and storage, CCUS. These are a very interesting part of uh, the uh, drive to mitigate climate change. Because if you get those things right, we can actually capture the carbon and then sequester it and then prevent it from, from uh, polluting and causing the, uh, the uh, climate change problem we have today. Uh, still nascent, but uh, it's a question of uh, adopting and putting the right carbon price. But over the longer term, there are other alternatives. For example, hydrogen. I, I personally feel uh, hydrogen would be the ultimate uh, goal we should really going for. Uh, although it is a dangerous uh, uh, element to keep in our home, uh, to store in our home. But then again, even petrol is quite dangerous to put near your house, right? If, you, if your car is parked near your home. But today, you, we, we are able to put it in a safe, contained situation where you don't even think about it exploding in your house, right? So hydrogen can go that way too. And more importantly, hydrogen is something that you can produce from water. And then when you actually combust it, it becomes water again. So I don't see how water will destroy the, the environment. Uh, and therefore, uh, many, many countries uh, now have come together to look at hydrogen as a long-term uh, uh, fuel that we probably uh, need and use for, for moving us around. However, some part of the petrochemical industry will remain. I mean, look at everything around us today. Many of the components here come from petrochemical industry, even your handphones. So for everyone who complains so much about the petrochemical uh, industry, don't use your handphone. Don't go around uh, <laughs> transported with, with all these fuels that you complain about. So my point is we have to be pragmatic, uh, but we also have to be concerned and keep pushing the boundary so that we use less of it and then find better alternatives for the long term. Yeah, the issue of green hydrogen, I think there are some companies here that actually have a pilot plant that's entirely off yes, the grid on, yes, on that yes. issue. But I mean, I mean, all, all you mentioned like green hydrogen, carbon capture, utilization and storage. Do you think that all these technologies could improve um, to the extent that we might be able to meet the net zero by 2050 recommendation? Um, in Singapore or do you think it's still... Uh, we better push those boundaries because uh, it is not a, only a question of uh, something academic uh, to, to, to nice, something nice to do. Uh, it is existential. I think not and, only not and not only for Singapore, actually for the whole world. It will affect our food supply, it will affect our, our coastal uh, sea level, sea level at our coast. It will also affect uh, the weather. So you can, can you imagine flying around and then uh, because the weather is so disruptive, it tells you as you board, no, you can't fly. Tomorrow you come again, they say, no, you can't fly. So it is as disruptive as COVID-19. Uh, although in COVID-19, you know roughly uh, why, 
and when, whereas when in terms of a, a very disruptive climate and all weather, uh, it's just unpredictable and in fact more dangerous. So thank you, Minister. I mean, now that we are in, in phase two, I was wondering whether you would like to tell our audience any, any other words of advice or... Well, phase two, we have arrived at phase two only because we cooperated, we collaborated to uh, observe safe distancing. Many of us, in fact, most of us stay home, uh, observe uh, this distancing even, even when we go out to get food. Uh, now that we have achieved this uh, wonderful outcome where the number of community infection is in the low single-digit numbers, uh, we don't want that to then change into a situation where uh, we have to do the circuit breaker again. I don't think we can afford it. Um, therefore, it is still important for us to observe safe distancing even when we are now allowed to eat with our friends, five of us together. And you know, we don't put masks when we, when we are eating with each other. Observe uh, the DIDs, uh, distant, the, the density, how, how many people should be around, and don't go beyond that five right now. Uh, the intensity, how long you are uh, talking to each other and eating with each other and uh, interacting with each other. So although you will be missing your friend, uh, please don't stay on for two hours, three hours, reminiscing how we are missing each other for eight weeks. Do it in 20 minutes, eat, meet, and go. And that's, that goes for when even when you visit your relatives and your friends, uh, their homes, don't stay too long because these are exactly why and how the virus uh, can spread. Thank you, Minister, for joining us today. Thank you.